change something on the show. Anyway, Stephen Brandt on the what is this version three of the Tuesday show? Anyway, it's Stephen Brandt with the Global Scars Yellow Card Podcast, and I want to explain a couple weeks ago. As you heard about two weeks ago, I had a hissy fit and cut the show off at the end. So what has happened is Keith has decided, well, he kind of got kicked off the show. Um, I've been doing this show for three years, and I threw enough people on the show. I had been pushing off the Keith taking 45 minutes, me taking 15 minutes to talk. For a while, because Keith had been there for me when my mom died, so I figured I'd just I'll get him going as long as I can, and then I will deal with it. Well, last week, finally, two weeks ago, finally had it. I I've been trying to get Alan Hutton, Alan Hinton in for a while because I know our time is probably pretty limited with him, since he's got prostate, uh, he's got um, he's got lower body cancer right now. So I wanted to have him on for a while, and the fact that I got two questions in in 45 minutes aggravated me to no end um the other thing is what you heard at the end is that yes i am actually thinking of ending the show chris is not chris our new our new co-host is chris gluck of possession with purpose this is i've been trying to get him on as a full-time guest host for a while so this is nothing new um i am thinking about ending the show in um march or may um i'll get i'll Pull, I'll pull the um, curtain back. I haven't worked a full-time job in, in a year. So there's going to be a point where I'm going to say, you know what, screw it and done. I have loved doing this for three years. The fact that I came back to podcasting and excelled at it surprises the hell out of me. It, it still shocks me to this day that I host a podcast and there are people out there like, not knocking myself. I never saw myself as a host. So somewhere in the in the near future, I will probably pull the cord on the show. This is not. There is going to be no ill will. There's going to be no harm to it. I'm just going to get sick of it. I I hoped by this time in the podcast history we would be we would be at a big time network or a sponsor would come in. And I, I love Global Scarves. I'm sitting next to 17 um, soccer scarves right now. So you, you go where I. I've been looking for someone to make this a payable job so I don't have to go back and get a 9-to-5 job. I kind of want to do it the way Jason Davis did. Is He got fired from his job, found found Trevor Hayward, and he's set for, well, not quite life, because where he lives in the, te- where he lives in the world is not quite easy for him. So that's part of what it is. What, here's what's going to end up happening to the show. Um, Chris Gluck and I are going to take the show as long as I can, as long as I can muster it for a while. Now, it's not like going to crash next week or by the end of the year. I'm, I'm working until at least February, end of February, maybe. So we'll, we'll see from there. Um, there's going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot more serious, a lot more analytical because Chris, Chris does analytics with the sport, and it's, I think it's fascinating. It's above my pay grade, and I've got a master's degree. Go figure. Um, so, yeah, and if you know what the master's degree was in, you'd, you'd laugh even further at that one. Um, <laughs> hey, Stephen, no worries, mate, and we're going to have good fun here. Oh, That's for course. sure. And there's going to be a lot less Man United talk because he doesn't like Man United. I can't stand him, so, which also begs the <laughs> funny thing. 
and I, I will I will email you, Chris, the link to the Twitter for this show. I get spammed a lot of interesting podcasts too. Hey, well, let's be on this show. Hey, why don't you why don't you hook us up on our network? I let it very well known on this show over the last three years. I have a complete hate. You have a complete. Ah, I thought I, I thought I had just dropped. I have a complete, well nurtured hatred of Manchester United. And it's oh, well, okay. Well, so, couple from London asking me to have them join my network. Oh, I'm thinking, oh, cool. I get I get spanned by Cosmos broadcasts all the time. Well, I, I go, start talking to them. They are the biggest Ryan Giggs fan fans in the in the UK. I'm like, ah, I can't figure this out. Anyway, so what, what we're going to talk about today, um, Chris has got some, some ideas on the MLS. I do want to kind of touch on what Jurgen Klinsmann as a technical director was talking about players going overseas, because Jurgen's kind of right, and I think the MLS needs to grow up. And we'll talk about the U.S. national team losing today, and I want people to calm down about that, too. And hopefully, hopefully if he thaws out, because I know he's off today, Ryan Seelock will join the show, because he felt, he felt bad after the last, the last time we were all on air. So he's going to eventually call in. So, anyway. Hey, it sounds good, Stephen. And, and just, just so you know, I got a sky blue... Man City kit top in my closet as we speak. And I pull it out probably five or six times during the summer at least. So there's there's no question I'm not a Man United fan. Not with the, the sky blue jersey in my uh, closet. That's for sure. And I'm not a closet Man City fan either. You just have something in your closet that is Man City, so <laughs> go, go figure on that. It's funny we've talked more Man City on this on this show than anything because um, I don't know if you know him, um, Carter Cashnire. No, um, he used to be the he used to be the public relate he used to be the communications director of the league of um, the NAL here in um, United States. He, he's he's kind of a soccer mogul. In the media, he started up MLS talk and World Soccer talk, and it's kind of all over the place. But he wrote a book about supporting Man City throughout the ages in being an American. So, would it be the first time we talked about it? You had something when we talked about this show about Houston, and I, I kind of completely blanked on it until about now. Okay, yeah, the dynamic dynamo were demagnetized this year yeah yeah i i actually did i did an article uh not too long ago about uh how poorly uh the uh the dynamo performed on the road this year especially compared to last um i i can talk to that for a little bit if you like but you know i i did see the headlines today about the U.S. men's national team getting throttled by Ireland, uh, four to one. We can we can talk that too. I didn't actually watch the game, 
Um, or we can talk more about Klinsman and MLS. That's, that seems to be an interesting topic as well, it, especially with, you know, Klinsman being uh, – I mean, he, he's got a big ego, but, you know, when you're a big coach and you've been a big professional like he has, you know, you've got every right to have a big ego. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, the, this clash – I won't call it a clash of the titans because I don't think MLS is a titan by any stretch. Uh, I think they're big in the U.S. Uh, but, you know, it's like the Cosmos or, or you know, NASL as a whole, um, even USL. They're, uh, they're, they're non-salary cap leagues. Um, you know, they're going to they're gonna live and die based upon ownership actually acting like ownership, not like uh, Chivas or some of the other clubs that have come and gone in, in Major League Soccer. So I'm it's I'm an open canvas today, Stephen. If uh, if you like, I can touch on Houston. Um, and and okay, so for starters, I will. I mean, here here's the thing. Um, and this is. These are words not from from me, but from people who have followed Houston for a long period of time. The guys that uh, write the SB Nation blog, uh, Dynamo Theory, I think is is what it is for the Houston Dynamo. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know those guys were were uh, responded pretty heartily to the uh, to the article that I wrote on the Dynamo. And and you know I'm not going to quote them, but I got to paraphrase them that you know Dominic Kinnear was pretty steadfast in how he did business. And, you know, when it came to playing on the road, uh, he, he made no adjustments at all throughout the entire year. And to give you an example of a team that did make an adjustment, uh, roughly halfway through the season, the 14th game, uh, Philadelphia sacked John Hackworth, and they brought in uh, Jim Curtin, the assistant. And straight away, uh, he made it a defensive adjustment. Uh, he, he dropped his line deeper. And and I know this, but I'm not going to quote from who I know this from. Um, and then the Portland Timbers did the same thing this year. They regressed their their back line. And I know this for a fact uh, because I have it confirmed from a member of the Portland Timbers organization that they did it. Um, and in doing that, it helped them adjust their attack. Well, Kinnear didn't do that. They ended up with, I think, the the uh, sixth worst points per game uh, in entire MLS, and for on the road they were point six five points per game, fourth worst in MLS. Now, this is a team, right, where Dominic Kinnear is leaving. And he's going to now be the head coach for San Jose Earthquakes, who had the second worst attack in MLS. And 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 it's like, okay, if if San Jose couldn't muster up a strong enough attack on the road, and they're bringing in Dominic Kinnear, who has connections obviously with San Jose, they're they're still bringing in a head coach that failed miserably in attack on the road in MLS last year. So I'm not too sure exactly what they think is going to happen straight away, but I just don't think that when Dominic Kinnear goes down there, 
he's he's going to be the you know the answer the panacea to to the solution i i just don't see it um so that that's kind of my first thoughts that i'll throw out there that you know some might rile some san jose fans might uh rile some Houston fans that really like Dom, Dominic Kinnear, or, you know, it might be a couple of folks might be nodding their head up and down saying, you know, that, that sounds reasonable. Um, so, so that's kind of the, the first gauntlet out there, Stephen, what, what are your kind of thoughts about Houston as you watched them or tracked them this year? Well, you know, Dominic, Dominic Kinnear is one of those interesting cases in the States. I, I think he, if the USA would have had it the way they wanted instead of the way the Federation wanted it, Dominic Kinnear would have probably succeeded um, Bruce Arena, not Bruce Arena, um, Bob Bradley as head coach of the national team. He's just that type of plotting, type of keep it safe, don't scare anybody, kind of boring manager. Now, he's obviously, I mean, he would, he would kill the half, well, not quite kill it, he would there are many teams probably on both sides of the water that would that would take him as a manager. He's a good safe manager. He develops players that go on to play over overseas and they are moderately successful. I mean they're they're not going to be they I don't th- think you can say that Houston during his tenure was a bad team. They were kind of, or mediocre, they were kind of run-of-the-mill. They're kind of like the Aston Villa of of the EPL. They're there, you know, every so often they will come up and do something good, but for the most part, they're an afterthought. I'm not surprised he went to San Jose, because outside of Wondolowski, they're not really a scoring team. I mean, they had Alan Gordon and Steve Leiner there, and those aren't high scoring forwards or attacking type forwards. And, you know, I think what I think what happened is that the the the, the San Jose the San Jose I was gonna call them the San Jose Flash, but um the earthquakes wanted to reach back to what they used to be because I get a sense with the earthquakes front office and their fandom that they're, they're they strive for the history of the game and not think too far ahead, because you could if you got someone in in this league with the talent enough and and we saw what Caleb Porter did last year. He took a he took Portland that were in the basement and put them. They ran through a couple of years ago. They ran through the MLS and were quite attacking, quite fun to watch. Now. You could do that again with another with another type of co- in this league, and get some good coaching with some great attractive play. But I don't think I don't think Houston or San Jose are looking for that. It's kind of we don't have the talent. We're not going to have the talent. We're not going to be massively successful. So we're just going to bore you guys. And do kind of the Sam Allardyce type of thing. Lump it up, kick it around every so often, and surprise someone. Kind of, while we're here. I kind of... Well, 
Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, you know, you've made some good points there, Stephen. And, and, you know, the one thing that, that you've got about MLS that I don't have is, is I don't have a lot of the history. And, and you know, there's a strength in that, but there's a weakness in that, too. Um, and, and I'm not saying that Dominic Kinnear is not a good head coach. Uh, what I said was, for last year, his tactical approach and attack failed. Uh, and he's going to a team that this past year, their tactical approach and attack failed. And, you know, as you said, Dominic used to be with San Jose. Um, then he went to Houston. Um, and, you know, for a time, you're right, Houston did well. But, you know, I think in the three three years now that I have followed the MLS, the tactical approach to the game has changed. It's It's not... 100% in-your-face direct football anymore, nor is it uh, completely possession-based football anymore. There's a lot more counterattacking that's going on, a lot of quick interplay where you got to have talented players on both sides of the pitch, plus you got to have the guys that can play box-to-box. Um, and, you know, that's where the strength of Porter comes into play. You know, when you look at Ziggy Schmidt, I mean, you know, they're a possession-based team, but at the same time, Seattle were a great counterattacking team, which meant that they were willing to cede possession. And you can bet that when they go up against L.A., they're going to cede some possession. Uh, you know, New England plays the same way. They cede possession, but they're quick on the counterattack. What Dominic Kinnear didn't do this year is he didn't effectively cede possession in order to quickly get it back on a counterattack. And, you know, you mentioned Sam Allardyce. The the thing that has turned around West Ham this year is his tactical change in how he's running West Ham. He's now actually got the players that can effectively do what New England's doing. Only I won't say that New England's doing it first. I'd say that Sam Allardyce has always been a pre-switched-on head coach, right? And he's mm-hmm. doing it of his own ilk. So, so you know, that, that history of, of Dominic dominating, if you will, for a couple, three or four years, you know, I think that's real. Um, but, you know, in the last three or four years, that style of play that that is kind of a bit stayed, you know, where we're going to try to apply the pressure in the, you know, center part of the pitch and... We're going to play a little bit more direct when we have the opportunity to go over the top and swing it back. Um, you know, that that didn't work, one, for Houston. Two, they didn't have the right strikers. I mean, Will Bruin is slow. He's, mm-hmm. he's He is. He's slow. So he's, he's not that quick counterattack. And he's not quite as physically fit, I think, as Adi or some of the other bigger strikers that are in MLS, like Martins. Obafemi Martins. I think, mm-hmm. you know, Martins might only be one or two inches sh- sh- shorter, but he's one hell of a lot faster, too. And he's good in the air. So um, so that dynamic of of the Dynamo in, in bringing that to San Jose, like you said, they got Chris Wondolowski. Who else have they got? They, they, they don't they, have anybody. They have that Tommy Thompson kid. Or whatever his name is, that everybody was crowing about 
Well, not everybody. A lot of people were crowing about in the early season. I, I, I see this as either it's the media's, and I know you don't follow MLS media, but I, I sense every time in the sport that we see a young kid, we're trying to recreate Landon because we so missed, because the sport failed Freddie Adu. So we keep trying to find that next guy, Julian Green, that Morris kid that's going to the um, Seattle Sounders, Tommy Thompson, that we're trying to make stars when, and Landon would probably talk, talk about this more. It took him years to figure out. He failed over over in Europe. And that that's the thing I, I see with San Jose is that it's like they don't have good recruitment. It's, they they are set in their ways. That's all they want to do. They don't want to change it up. They're just happy, and may, and maybe that's why maybe that's why Dominic Kinnear went back there. He's the safe pick. Whereas you have someone like Sam Allardyce, who, if you read coaching manuals, I don't know how many coaching manuals you've read, Chris, but in preparation for getting my coaching badge, I've read a, three or four, and to a T, a bunch of these English managers have said that one of the smartest managers in the game is Sam Allardyce. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and once, once, I don't know who said this, it might be someone, is that the FA is afraid of making putting Sam Allardyce in as the England head coach because he would change what they want. That's why Roy well, think- Hodgson's there. Yeah, I think, you know, I think Alan Hinton touched on that a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? And, and that was something that I, I wanted to poke him a bit more about uh, as well. You know, the he's he's got the accent that's common as muck. Um, and, and, you know, for some people in England, the, the common as muck accent uh, is not the accent that you want being, you know, the big cheese, the big leader. Um but you know, it's like with uh, Hodgson and the style of play that that England attempted in this past World Cup. They tried to play with the big boys. They tried to play like Spain. They they tried to play the possession based game, and they failed miserably at it. And it's like you know, there's a lot of talented players on that team that that can play a lot of different styles other than that possession based style. Uh, and you know, I think Allardyce is probably you know the the right brain to uh, get those guys to work with the left and the right side of their brains. I, uh, but you know, I think I think England's actually doing okay in uh, Euro this this go around. So you know, we'll we'll see how that goes when they start playing tougher competition. Yeah, exactly. I think one. Well, I think. I think Alan Hinton was talking about partly because I think Alan played against um, Sam when Sam was playing for the um, Rowdies over here in the United States. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, with what Clintman said, with what Clintman said, and I'm I'm sure there is a whole conspiracy theory behind this, but. 
I don't think what Clemson Clemson said about developing our or having our best players go overseas was that wrong at all. I mean, he was pointing to uh, Ruben and Shane Morris having to go overseas to develop better. Don't you, as a fan, want your players to go in, be in a system where they'll improve? Who's saying that if Shane Morris goes up to Seattle, because he's a homegrown player through Seattle, that he will get any get any time and succeed. What, what if what if he goes up there and is blocked by two two or three strikers? Send him overseas for a year or two. Send him somewhere like God. Put, put him in. Put him in, in in the Dutch league. I mean, we 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 see, we see what happened with Juan Agudelio. He stayed here for too long, and now he he can't catch a break overseas. Maybe it's the betterment for the this youth. That's coming up through, like Ruben, Greg Garza, some of these other players, to go overseas because the American youth system is is not what it should be. I mean, you're up in Portland, which has had great, which has had great soccer throughout the region for a long time, but we're we're not we're not producing Landon Donovans and and Clint Dempsey's every time. It's we need to move these players over. And if the MLS has a problem with it, bring over better coaches. Yeah. Yeah, you know, here's a couple thoughts I have on just kind of what I've seen on the youth side. Because I think I saw this kid, Morris, uh, play uh, three or four weeks ago. I might be mistaken. Does does he wear a kind of a faux hawk? Sort of. He play. He's he's at Stanford right now. And he, okay, then maybe the I didn't see him. Yeah, he's with the okay. national team. Are you seeing like a um, kind of like a a blonde mohawk? Yeah, but uh, but it's I don't know. Maybe I did see him. Maybe I didn't see him. Yeah, um, th- I think I know who you're talking about. You're thinking Jossie Zardes with um, the LA um, strike. Ah. No, no, no. There's a difference. I definitely know who Zardes is. Okay. Um, I, you know, I don't know. Is his number nineteen for for the U18s? Yeah, that would be him. Okay, then I've seen him play. Yeah. And <laughs> actually, it's kind of funny. What what happened was is I was sitting there on the end line, uh, watching the game. <laughs> and there's a couple diehard Timbers Army guys standing like. Ten or fifteen feet from me, and and they 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 were talking about this kid, this number nineteen, and I said, yeah, he looks to me as if he's playing a Dempsey role. He's doing this and he's doing that. He's doing this and he's doing that, and <laughs> and then within two minutes and two seconds um, after that had got tweeted after the game. They came back through a tweet and said, "Yeah, the, yeah, he was definitely playing the Dempsey role because he was complaining an awful lot." <laughs> but I, I get, you probably had to be there. But but the the whole thing about that was is the kid is talented. The kid's good. He's strong. He's quick. He he controls the ball, 
So he's good on his first touch, and he's good on his second and third touch. He can actually keep control of the ball in in the high traffic areas, which is which is pretty tough to do, uh, especially playing U18s when when the pitch is as small as it is. Um, but you know, in, in the time that I've seen the academy players, um, the one thing that I would offer is there's not enough of them that are good enough on the ball after their first touch. Um, and, you know, as a, as a youth head coach, um, the most critical thing we worked on, and this is, you know, back in the mid-90s when I was in England, and for the short period of time that, that I was a head coach in the States up in Seattle, um, we worked on first touch, and we worked on first touch, and then we worked on first touch, and then we worked on passing, and then we worked on first touch. And, you know, when I see training, there's a lot of working on first touch and a lot of working on passing. But the combination of the two, I don't think outside of an academy environment, right, in high schools, uh, in junior high schools or in, in junior, you know, football clubs, I don't think they work enough on first touch, second touch third touch, first touch, second touch, pass, first touch. I think they do too much dribbling. And, I mean, you know, Stephen, you watch a lot of soccer. I watch a lot of soccer. From from my vantage point, when I watch a lot of soccer, I don't see a lot of dribbling. I see maybe one player at a high-level team that's a really good dribbler, and that's it. You might have a second player that's a really good dribbler. But, you know, the the skill in dribbling is not what it has to be in order to be a great player. You have to be a great player. You've got to have a great first touch, be able to pass, have vision, have first touch, um, because the ball just moves so much quicker when you pass. So, you know, I, and I can't speak for what it's like on the East Coast, uh, but I, I did a, uh interview with the director of soccer out of Kalamazoo, uh, Michigan, the other day, and we talked about that in his, his youth football club. You know, clubs need to work more on first touch, passing, first touch, passing, et cetera, et cetera, because the game is so, so, so much quicker. Um, so I don't know if that touches exactly on on what you're saying in terms of players getting better development overseas versus in the States, but I I think the issue is is a lot of the players here in the States – don't have enough training on first touch and passing to be at the same skill level as their aged counterparts in Europe. And, yeah. and so you got to, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that was the other thing. I mean, I, I of course, I'm reading the Dutch coaching guide, just it, it was cheap and close to me. And that was one of the things that um, I, I forgot who the guy was. It's not Rennes Michaels that did it, but um, it was. So one, of, one of the guys that was talking about that is you're not going to always have people with great speed when you when you first come in you have to develop you have to develop the possession with the ball first because you're I mean you've got Will Bruins, as you were saying Will Bruins he's not a fast guy and he's at, he's at the top level here in United States I think also part of the problem and I know Keith used to hit on this pretty regularly and I know um, the guys on Beyond the Pitch on um, satellite radio 
um, Phil Brown, who is actually Irish, talks about this a lot with his son out in L.A., is that way too many times you get you get a kid you get you get kids that aren't rich that have the talent. Well, yeah. you have these premier teams, and you probably have a bunch of them up by you, and I have I have a bunch of them by me. I'll give a good example here. Um, the I wouldn't say the smallest class of high school in in New York State, but close to it was was won by uh, um, basically an ESL team, an English, uh, English as a second language high school. Ninety percent of that team I actually coach in the summer. None mm-hmm. of them are wealthy. They are all refugees and all have talent. I mean, we have we have three midfielders that if they, if a good coach and I'm not saying I'm going to be one could get a hold of these guys that you you'll hear from them. The problem yeah. is the problem is and we we hear about this a lot and this is just so American is that you have to pay upwards of $2000 for that. Well, here's the problem, folks. What rich suburb of Argentina did Lionel Messi come from? I'll stop yeah. you guys there. He came from the slums. Carlos Tevez came from the slums. Raquel me came from the slums. I can go on. I mean, Pele, I mean, Pele's oh. Haley's always on the borderline of being broke. He's been that's the reason why he was in the States the first time. <clears throat> they we don't have the generations of people that are coming up that are paying that are just playing free, just out there kicking the ball around on the street. It's all organized, it's all soccer moms, and to be honest, you get sick of it by ten, ten, eleven years old, and you move on. I've got I I coach U fourteens. I've got kids here that actively want to play on a daily basis. Now, they're all foreign, so it's a big difference. If I would come out there and gone through some of the stuff, I think what we need is not Premier League, so we need something like, I don't know if you guys do it out here, but we do, we do this in basketball, and here's the Catholic Leagues here for basketball. I, I, played, against, I played with Abby Wambach growing up. At, she was my point guard. We we all played in a pretty poor type of area. Where where yeah. do we see that in the states? I mean, Landon Donovan came from a really wealthy part in L.A. Clint Dempsey didn't. Clint Dempsey came from a poor upbringing. We don't develop. We we try to specialize. And there's there's God. There's six there's six Premier Leagues in the city of Buffalo alone. That's sad. We need one governing body for everything here. Yeah, yeah, that that you know that that's that's big, and and I mean that geographically. I mean, you know, when I think about England, and I was a head coach there uh, for for the youth, uh, we had 140 kids uh, in a village uh, kind of area, and you know, you go five miles away and you get another football club. You go four miles away, another direction. You got another football club. You go four or five miles away. You get another one. You know, within within a fifteen mile radius, you got ten, ten to fifteen. You know, football clubs going in. You know, U five or U six, all the way up to U fifteen or sixteen. 
and it's only at U17 where things start to to come together a little bit. But you know, the, the other thing is, uh, you know, when when I go to the academy training sessions or I'll watch a game, you know, I, you know, this this is America, and the people that are on the sidelines scouting those kids are college coaches. And, you know, there's not – people, when they play for a football club in an academy in Europe, they, they don't have college coaches on the sidelines scouting them. They have professional scouts scouting them for professional football clubs. Um, so, you know, even the academies here, you know, there's the one-off, the two-off, like L.A., uh, they've they've done a great job. I think you know the the bigger the dynamic you have of population, the more likely you're going to have of players not going to college. But you know even the academy coaches have to cater, and and I say that specifically, they have to cater to the parents of the kids that play on their academy teams for college. And, you know, that's not what the academy team is for. The academy team is for the club, for the players to develop and play professionally for the club, not go to college outside of the United States. Inside of the United States, there, and, and I'm not poo-pooing college. I'm not doing that at all. But it's the atmosphere, the environment that's different. And you know, in as much as Klinsman might not have talked about that, you 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 have that atmosphere, that environment where the kids, the first thought is, is they're going to go to college. Well, that's not the case with kids in Europe. The first thoughts they're not going to go to college. The first thought is, is they better be good on their first touch, and better be great at passing, or they're never going to make money playing soccer. Yeah, exactly. I do. I do want to welcome him because I think you can hear him in the background. The guy that caused a real fun practice with um, Daniel Fernstein last night. Hey, Ryan. Hey. Sorry, I can go off my car phone if it's too loud. No, as long as well, there is a bit of background, Ryan, but I think we'll be okay. We'll be okay. Um. Anyway, I did want to have you in. Now, I'm sure you obviously worked during the um, U.S. national team game. But what what is it? I I know you don't. You get to watch some of it. I mean, what, what is your what is your view of these meaningless friendlies at the end of the year? Um, I really didn't get to watch a whole lot. I saw the final scoreline. I mean, I think it's good in the sense that a lot of guys get to see time that normally wouldn't. I mean, to Bill Hamid, he's normally never going to be in goal. I would have rather seen Sean Johnson, but uh, I think he's training in Europe right now, or he was with Bull City. Um, but, you know, just getting to season the team, I mean, that's one thing. If Klinsman's going to go with, a, you know, a lot of young kids, they need time. So, you know, we could have odd friendlies, have friendlies when, you know, a lot of other teams may not be playing. That's fine. If you want, you know, if you want to grow the kids, they need, they need some seasoning and – whether it's in a meaningless friendly in November or December, hey, you know, it, it all counts the same in the end. So there weren't a lot of first-team starters in this uh, Ireland match then, Ryan. Yeah, for neither. I mean, 
the most most well, we don't have our first team goalkeeper because uh, Tim Howard's taking taking a year off, and rightfully so. I think more players should be doing that. And I mean, he left he left he left most of the uh, World Cup squad back. I, I think what we're I think what we're finding I think what we're finding is people people are getting too wound up about these games. Is that, that yeah we lost four to one to Ireland, not a top not a, I was going to say a club a top nation overseas at all. But you got to remember as what you you were saying before, Chris. The 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 speed is different overseas, and Klinsman brought a lot of younger players. I mean, he brought Miguel Ibarra, who, for all intents and purposes, is a second division player in America. I know there's this big hype about him that he set the world in fire in the NASL, but folks. Let's back it up on Miguel Abara, Abara a little bit here. If he was so good at playing, why did he fail at the tim- with the Timbers? Why did he fail with yeah. the Timbers? I mean, let, let's be re- let's be realistic here. If he was so good, why is he not why is he not starting? And I I, I know this is going to get Ryan to laugh. Why is he not starting for the Chicago Fire right now? Why is he at Minnesota? Why is he why is he with, why is he with TJ Glatchen's Minnesota United? Rick Rubin, who's playing who's playing with um, Utrecht right now, started up top. I mean, Bill Hamid, who I and I would I'd be interested in what you two think about this, and I I kind of think Ryan Ryan's not gonna like him. I don't think Bill Hamid is really that good as a goalkeeper. He's the DC United keeper right now. I don't think he. I don't think he's as good as what people say he is. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of in the same boat with you, but not about Bill Hamid. I am. I'm in the same boat about Sean Johnson. I'm. I'm not convinced that he's the leader that he needs to be, um, especially with how poorly the Chicago Fire played this year. Um, but you know, hey, I, I looked at the roster, and Fabian Johnson, Cameron Beesler, Chandler, Beckerman, Bedoya, uh, Morales, Discarude, Wondolowski, and Altador started for for the USA. And you know, there's five or six players there that started in the World Cup. So, you know, I I wouldn't offer that the U.S. was playing a second second grade team. Um, in the fact that they got beat 4-1, I, I don't know the timeline of all those goals, but um, you know that that doesn't mix well with me at all. Um, that you know that the things got a, a pear-shaped scoreline like that. But um, you know the the thing about Hamid. Uh, Stephen is, you know, he had Boswell and Franklin in front of him, uh, who were pretty solid in defense this year. Um, whereas Sean Johnson really had nobody in front of him. Um, yeah, that, that's, at, at all. that's the main point. For me. yeah, that's yeah, that's I mean, the main point for me for Johnson. I mean, he really hasn't had, uh, you know, other than the Olympic qualifying where he had to come in for him, who shouldn't have ever played because he was hurt, not at a hundred percent, but. Um, you know, he's he 
he's had no one. You can make the best goalkeeper in the world look like trash with no one in front of him. I mean, Johnson kept us in many games. I mean, the skill is there. He just, you know, he doesn't have the season. And that's to be expected. You're not going to play him in front of a Tim Howard. You're not going to play him in front of a Ramondo. Same thing for Hamid. So, you know, they're going to have their growing pains, too. I mean, they're young kids on an international stage. And, you know, it's to be expected to have some hiccups. Yeah, and, and then there's Brad Guzon, who who I think you know actually is arguably could could battle for for number one or should be number one, maybe even ahead of Ramondo, um, just because of his his position playing in the EPL, playing in the best league in the world. Um, he's playing against top flight players both in attack and defense. So, um, but uh, yeah, you know Sean Johnson. You know the the state of goalkeeping. You know the the sooner an American of high quality stature starts to play in Europe a little bit more on a first team level, like uh, Guzon and and Howard, you know the, the better off the United States will be when it comes to the World Cup in another three and a half years. Well, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, real. Yeah, go ahead, Ryan. I was going to say, at this point, you would have to assume. I mean, I can't really see. He may try, but let's assume Howard realistically is not going to be there before the next World Cup, you know, 2000, 2018. So you would have to assume Guzan would be the favorite. I mean, Romano is pretty old. He's not going to be there either. And uh, obviously, Friedel's even older, and Keller is an awful commentator. But just I threw that out there to make fun of him. I can't, I can't stand Casey Keller. So. Um, yeah, Guzan, you would figure, would have to be the go-to guy. And then, you know, that number two job, though, is up for up for grabs, in my opinion. I mean, there's no clear-cut number two right now. I mean, you heard uh, uh, McMath, Zach McMath, you know, for the union. He was kind of the hot name a while back, and he's kind of regressed somewhat. Um, Tally Hall, I think, has looked well, but he's kind of regressed, too. So the number two spot, I think, for 2018, is wide open. So, even though it's obviously the number two spot, it's going to be a pretty good battle, in my opinion. Here's yeah, the I'm, one that I'm, nobody I'm says. agreeing with you 100% there. Here's the one that nobody talks about, and he's an American, and he's playing overseas. Is Cody, Cody, Cody Cropper at um, Southampton? The backup goalkeeper at Southampton is, a, is an American. Really? Yeah, Cody, Cody Cropper. Yeah, he's... I think in the U uh, he's with he's with Rongren, I think. No, Rongren's not there anymore. Whoever is the U twenty coach, the goalkeeper there is um the goalkeeper there is overseas. Yeah, Cody Cropper is over, but I don't think I for some reason can't see why they don't rank him higher because obviously obviously Ramondo's done. Ramondo's probably done in, in this next year and. Guzan's going to be the next one. Where do you go? Because Hamid is really unreliable. Sean Johnson probably will let one in every now and then. And then where do you go? But that's that's the problem with all of this. And why Jurgen Klinsmann says the players should go overseas is where is the next group of players coming from? Do do we have to make more Spanish players? Or I mean. What is there? What is there out, out there? Because there's not a lot of good any, um, MLS players. I mean, the fact that he pulled in 
Miguel Ibarra twice. And I don't mean to keep ripping on him, but second division in the United States. And I have a lot of love for Minnesota. But second division in the United States. Really? Yeah. Uh, Two points on that, Stephen. Um, One, this was... He's got to fly under the radar. I've heard Tony Miola is in the best shape of his life. <laughs> so, Tony Miola, there you go. Um, two, going back to the whole Garber Klinsman slap fight, whatever, I have a big problem with the whole, oh, Klinsman was bad. He's, he's not paid to be a cheerleader for MLS. You know what? I have no problem with what he said. Obviously, I was very mad about the Jermaine Jones situation. Not that he would have made the fire awesome or instantly better just by himself. Um, the problem is, you know, if you're going to sit there and change rules all the time, if you're just going to, oh, hey, by the way, we feel like changing this rule. Oh, limit 3DP. Well, if you're L.A. or New New York or Seattle, we're going to change that. Uh, you know, oh, hey, you want an extra money other teams can't get? I mean, there's no set rules. It's constantly changing, ever-evolving. And I've tweeted many times how it's been a joke. I mean, Jermaine Jones, really? He says he wants to go to Chicago, but Robert Uh, Kraft is in your ear. You want to make him happy. And so, in the end, you have a draw, an envelope. When's the last time you heard about a big free agent in Europe going to a team via envelope? So, you can't talk, you know, you can't get mad at someone for saying that oh, you can't talk bad about us when you're running it like a Mickey Mouse amateur organization. I mean, I've seen lemonade stands. I've seen Girl Scout cookie tables in front of Walmart run better than Garber can do sometimes. Well, yeah, Ryan, I mean, at at the risk of piling on (laughs) to the MLS franchise, (laughs) you know, I I will here for two minutes and two seconds. I, I... you know, there, there's just something that's completely wrong about an organization that you have somebody like Shiva's USA that exists uh, and then disappears, and then you got another organization coming in two years um, that that's going to have as much money as New York City FC, uh, but who knows what sort of fan base they're going to have. Um, but, um, you know, here here's the thing. You know, I mean, I'm not a Chicago Fire fan, but I'm not a hater either. My understanding was Jones did not want to play for Frank, and he did not want to play central midfield or central defense for Frank uh, because the style that Frank has as a head coach is almost dinosaur-like compared to Jay Heaps, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, for, for MLS as a whole, Jones going to New England was a far better move. I mean, you'd have had five central defending midfielders for Chicago Fire almost on board at one time if if Jermaine Jones goes to play for him. He would have added no value in attack at, at all. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I actually did an article on the Chicago Fire, and I had a, a, about 1,000 views in 24 hours. 
and I didn't get mm-hmm. negative feedback on it at all. It was actually called Chicago Fire Candle Burned at Both Ends. Um, and, you know, I I hesitate to say Yallop's last name because I forget it because of Klopas and Yallop in the musical chairs those two Franks played last year. But, you know, you know, it, like we talked about Dominic earlier, Stephen, about that direct <laughs> yeah. attack, that steadfast, I'm not changing my tactics for anybody, no matter what player I got on my team. You know, that's Frank Yallop as well. Um, and, oh, by the way, he came from San Jose. And, you know, to me, there's that, that pattern in MLS of steadfast head coaches that have been around MLS that can win in MLS, but they can lose in MLS, and they're losing now more than they're winning. Frank Klopas is losing now more than winning. Frank Yallop loses more than wins. Dominic Kinnear loses more than wins. Mark Watson loses more than wins. John Spencer lost more than one. And, you know, the people that don't change are losing in MLS, and they're losing big time. Uh, We saw Olsen change uh, from one year to the next. He not only changed his his formation slightly, but he also brought in different players to play to a better formation. Um, and, and you got a guy like Caleb Porter that comes along or, or Pareja that just went from Colorado down to FC Dallas. He changed the style in Dallas. Shellis Heinemann, he went from being a winner to a loser because he didn't change the style. And, you know, that in as, 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 as much about the MLS, I think, is in the back of the mind of Jurgen Klinsmann as it is the players. Because if you don't have head coaches that are willing to change the tactics and the styles that they need to in order to be more competitive, to bring more competitive players to the game, then the players really ought to go someplace where they're going to be more competitive because they got tactics that are leading edge. I mean, Hamburger is not a strong team. But you know what? They played leading-edge tactical style of football because they have to to compete against Bayern Munich. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gladbach versus Borussia Dortmund. Or even if you go to La Liga. Um, oh, anyhow, I, I said two minutes and two seconds I lied. So <laughs> that was five minutes and five seconds. Sorry, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> problem it's it's not like saying it's not like saying the opening to the show then having to put the phone down for 45 50 minutes anyway <laughs> i want to i want to i want to thank chris cluck and ryan ryan t for being on the show um next week we're probably not going to have a show but don't quote me on that um since keith is gone i don't have another person that can host the show unless matt unless if someone gets in matt hoffman's ear and fixes his schedule for next week He's the other person that can do the show. Um, next week's Thanksgiving. I won't be here because when I go home to see my father, I don't, I don't do, don't do the podcast. Um, I also want to thank the guys at Frontier FC. They're a local soccer club, sort of. I think they're local um, high school. They brought up a scarf to me about a while ago, and I know Rich from Frontier FC listens pretty regularly and. 
Actually, he listens to it in the morning and at night, too. So, anyway, I know he's listening right now. Um, I want to thank you guys for being on. Um, Chris, are you writing anything this week that we have to look out for? Uh, you know, I actually, um, in let me uh, let me pull something. Go to Ryan first, and let me pull something up here. Hmm. Okay, hang on. No, don't worry. We've we've got five minutes left. Oh, okay. Well, you know, a, a couple things. Uh, actually, I I had a guy uh, retweet an article of mine. Uh, that I wrote some time ago, uh, Possession with Purpose, the revised introduction. Um, The the hits on it just don't stop. Uh, There's a lot of viewership across the world. It's not in the United States specifically. It's in Spain, Italy, UK, Portugal, France. So in that Possession with Purpose analysis has to do with uh, tracking the attacking and defending uh, traits, uh, team performances for La Liga, uh, the Bundesliga, the English Premier League, uh, the UEFA uh, Champions League this year. I did the World Cup in the past. I did MLS, as a matter of fact. Um, I've completed my Chicago Fire and Houston Dynamo end-of-season analysis. They're not two minutes and two seconds. They're more like ten minutes and ten seconds. <laughs> I dig into yeah. I dig into home and away, um, in the the trends and the tactics, um, and you know since I've been doing that, I can now do the same thing in La Liga, and you, I can pick out traits of team behavior in attacking and defending that are the same in teams like Almira, or teams like uh, Cordoba, or Hamburger or uh, FC Schalke, you know, or, or Aston Villa or West Ham. You know, the traits of these teams appear exactly like the traits of teams like Portland or like Philadelphia or like Chicago. You know, so so the tactics of soccer transcend league to league to league. The difference is, is the individual skill level in being able to pass and have first touch, like we talked about at the beginning of the show. Um, you know, Bayern Munich has paid a lot of money for a lot of players that are great with the first touch and great at passing. Barcelona's done the same thing. Chelsea's done the same thing. Um, when you look in the United States, L.A. has done the same thing. Seattle has done the same thing. Uh, I won't say New England has done the same thing. But, you know, the traits, the behaviors of strong teams – you know, all of these leagues are similar. Uh, and then the traits and behaviors of teams that counterattack or are overmanned because of the opponent being so dominant, you know, those traits are the same too. Uh, and there's success and there's failure. Aston Villa is a good example of a team that's failed in the last six weeks compared to the first four weeks. West Ham is a great example of a team that has excelled in the first 10 weeks versus uh, a team like Houston who didn't versus a team like uh, Dallas who did. Um, And, you know, when it comes down to it, the skill level of the player is different. And Klinsman's absolutely right. 
In Europe, the skill level is a hell of a lot higher across the entire breadth of all those leagues um, compared to MLS. And if I'm a 17-year-old kid, I want to be in Europe. I don't want to be in the U.S. Well, I want to thank, you, both good, for being, I want to thank you for both being on because we're off air right now. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> we're, a, we're a little <laughs> off air right now because when it goes – I forgot, you two can't hear 10 seconds. You can't hear the countdown yeah. that I get in my ear because I, I since I'm a, as the host. So, yeah, once you, you start going, I'm like, ugh. So, anyway, we're off. I don't know about next week. Uh, Matt Hoffman, I, I don't know. Ryan, were you able to look at the show when you guys did your podcast? Uh. If we were, I wasn't aware of it. Okay. Because yeah. I do because I do need someone when I'm not around to host the podcast because Keith is gone. Okay. So I will sometime this week talk to you three and I'll I'll get sure. Hoffman in I'll get Hoffman in on this because he's the only person that knows how to do this now. But anyway, I'll get you three involved yeah. just to figure it out. Okay. So anyway. I'll talk yeah, to you I, later. I'd be glad to help out. I'd be glad okay. to help out. I mean, you know, Tuesdays are easy for me usually, so. Okay. Okay, that's no problem, and I will talk to you later um, too, Chris. Okay. Yeah, right, absolutely. Later, guys. All right. All right bye. Bye-bye.